Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing? Move this up a little bit. Give me a little bit more space here. I don't want to be tripping over these speakers. That'd be bad. I'm very embarrassing for me. Anyways, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. It is great to be worshiping with you. If it is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here, checking things out, visiting with us. Uh, and I just want a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me a huge favor, uh, at some point during the service, just uh, text the word welcome uh, to the number you see on the screens, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> Well, there's no number there, but that's okay. We have cards on the table, a uh, more, more analog way to do it. So you can uh, stop by our table right outside. Uh, there's cards, welcome cards. Uh, again, we just want a chance to, to reach out. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Amazing. So just text welcome to that number, uh, or you can fill out a card on your way home today. But like I said, this just gives us a chance uh, to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. I would really appreciate that opportunity. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today as well uh, before you head out. And uh, we are going to be continuing on in our series uh, through the book of Acts. So uh, we are going to complete chapter one today. Uh, so I know last week we only did three verses. Uh, today we're going to tackle quite a few more. So we're going to be in Acts chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning there. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12 and carry it all the way to the end of chapter one, verse 26. Uh, and while you're turning there, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a time in your life where you felt the most freedom. What point in your life did, did you have this moment or this uh, season of life where you just felt a lot of freedom? Uh, one of those times for me was when I got my driver's license. When I turned 16, got my license. Uh, I was able to buy a car. Uh, as a 16-year-old, it was a 1996 Mazda 626 stick shift. Had 260-something thousand miles on it. It was a thing of beauty. I loved it. Loved that first car. But as soon as you got that license, man, I, I could, you know, of course I had to tell my parents where I was going. But then you get in the car and you just, you have this freedom. Like I can go and do whatever I want. Or at least that's what I thought. You can just go and do whatever you want, right? I can just go anywhere. I don't have my mom in my ear telling me or my dad telling me, oh, you're not, you're messing up. You're not, you're driving too fast. That was always my problem. Still is a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, you, you have that, that complete freedom. I can just go and do whatever I want to do. Another time where I felt a lot of freedom was when I, I moved out of my parents' house. So I, uh, when I graduated high school, I was 18 years old, and I got my first job at a church. I knew I wanted to be in ministry from a young age. As soon as I graduated high school, I got a job at a church. So I stayed home for college, didn't move off, stayed at home. So it was a couple years into that before I could afford to live on my own. So I got my own place with a roommate. I mean, just total freedom at that point, too. I could do whatever I wanted. I could eat whatever I wanted to, right? I could go to Taco Bell as often as my heart desired, which was quite frequently. There was one right next to our apartment. Perfect for a young 20-year-old guy. But I just, I just, a lot of freedom, right? And that's typically when we think of freedom, we, we typically think in those terms, right? Getting to do whatever I want to do, not having to answer to anybody. That's what we think of freedom, it's just the ability to do whatever I want to be, uh, to, to be whoever I want to be, to go and do whatever I want to do, not answering to anybody in this world. And that's something that we, that we prize and value in this country and in our culture, right? Like we celebrate uh, being independent and being our own person. And again, there's this celebration of, of being whoever I want to be, of doing whatever I want to do. But what I would argue, what I, what I want to spend our time talking about today is is that concept of freedom, this, this worldly, cultural type of freedom that we talk about isn't actually freedom. It's actually an illusion. And what I want to uh, point ourselves to today is that, that living for ourselves actually prevents true freedom from happening, actually prevents 
true freedom. See, uh, when, we, when we think in terms of, of being independent, of having freedom, again, it's this idea of, of I get to do whatever I want to do. But that's not real freedom. It's just another form of reliance. I'm just choosing to rely on myself, right? Like, so when I say independent, it's really self-reliance. And I don't know about you guys, I'll speak for myself, but when I tend to rely on myself, things don't always go so well. They don't always work out the way that I hope. And that's because it, it, it goes against how I was created. We, as people, are, are created beings. We are created by God in his image to live for his purposes and his ways. And when I, when I choose to rely on myself and live for myself, it, it goes counter to how I was created. That's not how God makes us. So that's what I want to spend our time talking about, and that's what brings us to Acts chapter 1. So again, if you have your Bibles... Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we're going to carry it all the way through the end of chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, no worries, you can follow along on the screens behind me. Uh, We also have Bibles on the table back there. Uh, Please take one of those as our gift to you. If you don't own one, uh, please take that. But but Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says this. Then they, that's the disciples, then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away, which is just another way of saying about three quarters of a mile. That's the amount of, uh, the length of of mileage that, that the Jews allowed themselves to walk on the Sabbath. That's what that means. So just think a little under a mile away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Thank you, Luke, for that picture. That was very, very nice. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of time on that verse. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, y'all. Verse 19, it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, so what's going on here? What's going on in this passage? Here's the main idea that I, that I want us all to grasp and hold on to today. What we see at the end here of Acts chapter 1, what we see in Acts chapter 1 is this. Total freedom is found in total reliance on God. Total freedom, this idea that we, we so long for, this independence that we long for, that we want, total freedom is found not in ourselves, not in living for ourselves, not in relying on ourselves. It is actually found in relying on God. Total freedom is found in total reliance on God. 
See, when we, when we rely on God, it sets us free. It sets us free to be who God truly designed us and created us to be. When we rely on God rather than ourselves, it actually frees us from things like our need for control, our, our searching for some of life's biggest questions and meaning and purpose. It frees us from searching for that. It frees us from the guilt and shame that we feel when we sin and fail. And it frees us from things like, like performance, for, for trying to prove ourselves to everybody out there. It frees us from these things. And this is what we see from the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has left, right? We saw last week, we looked at verses 9 and 11, we saw the ascension of Jesus. Jesus has ascended. He's gone back to heaven. And now the disciples are here. They've been told to wait. They've been told to wait on the Holy Spirit, wait in Jerusalem. And in response, they show us what true reliance on God looks like. So I just want to spend our time talking about today, reliance on God. I want to give you four areas that we are to rely on God, four areas today. So if you're a note taker, number one, first area we need to talk about is reliance on God's timing. Reliance on God's timing. So as we said, Jesus has ascended and the disciples were told to wait. They're told to wait in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now we read that and tend to just, you know, gloss over it, but, but try to put yourself in the mindset of the disciples in this time. So Jesus, the guy that they've been following, they've devoted their lives to for three years, has now ascended. He's, he's gone. He's out of the picture. He's ascended back into heaven, and he's told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell them what that was going to look like, what that was going to mean, like, okay, how, how are we going to know? We're going we're to find out next week when we dig into chapter two. Oh, you'll know when the Holy Spirit comes. It'll be obvious. But they didn't know that. We can read ahead. They, they couldn't read ahead. They had no idea what that was going to look like. I didn't know the specifics, just wait for the Holy Spirit. Okay, I guess, I guess we'll, just, we'll just know that they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus was arrested and, and put to death in a horrific way. What's to stop the Jews from going after his disciples? I mean, this Jesus who they put to death, tried to get rid of, raised from the dead. He's been here for 40 days, causing more ruckus. Like, what's to stop these guys from going after his followers, going after his disciples? I don't know about you, but I would have felt a, a, a lot of fear in that time. And Jesus is gone He's ascended, and now we're left here to deal with these people that just put Jesus to death. So they're waiting, and there's not a lot of answers. There's not a ton of direction on what to do. They're just supposed to wait. Now, how many of us like to wait? I won't make you raise your hand, but think, how many of us enjoy waiting? Like, man, I just, I love waiting and not doing anything. That's my favorite. I love waiting, right? Like, nobody, nobody says that. Maybe some of y'all feel that sometimes. But most of us, we, we don't like waiting. We're not wired to wait. We're wired to do, right? Like, we're wired to just do stuff. But what's our response when we have to wait? So you guys know I have, I have three kids, and our youngest, Myla, she just turned one at the beginning of this month. And, uh, and this girl is in this phase right now where she has no patience, right? No patience, and she wants what she wants right now. And we'll let you know when you are delaying anything that she wants, right? So she's, she's very scheduled. Like she, when it's around lunchtime or, or dinnertime or whatever, she will crawl into the kitchen wherever she is, playing, doing whatever. She will crawl into the kitchen. She'll point to her high chair. She'll point to the microwave or the fridge and just whine. She'll just hold her hand up. Uh, 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 uh. And she's telling you, I'm hungry. I want food and I want it right now. And so you, you start getting the food ready. And she's just whining all the more. If you have to heat something up the microwave, she's just pointing at the microwave, whining until you give her what she wants, right? She is very impatient. But she's a one-year-old, right? Like she's a baby. It's okay for her to be impatient. But how many of us as adults, how many of us when we have to wait, we, we revert back to that? Right? We, just, we get fussy. We get whiny. We're just like, wow, I have to wait on this? Oh, I, don't, 
I don't like waiting. I don't want to wait. What? Why I got to wait on somebody else? No, I want what I want, and I want it right now. I mean, think of a silly uh, situation. Like, I, for me, like, I, I'm not usually a hurried person for the most part, but if I have to sit in traffic or there's somebody in front of me driving slower than I believe they should be driving, then I immediately start to get impatient. Like, Lord, why are you making me wait? Why have you forsaken me, right? Like, that's, that's our reaction sometimes. That's silly, but that's how we get when we have to wait sometimes, right? Like, let's, let's be real. Let's be honest. We don't like waiting. So instead of that, instead of, uh, of fussing, instead of whining, instead of trying to manipulate the situation to get what we want, right? None of us do that. Surely not. Instead of doing that, what we're supposed to do is wait. Wait on God's timing. And when we wait on God's timing, it frees us from our need for control. It frees us from needing control. By, by relying on God's timing, by waiting on God's timing, by, by resting in his timing and not our own, what it does is it, it, it allows us this freedom to just, to just let go, right? To just let go and not feel like I have to control or manipulate or take charge of the situation or try to work something out in my favor to get what I want when I want it. No, it, it allows me to say, God, it's in your hands. You're good, you're sovereign, you're more powerful than I am. I'll wait on you. I'll wait on you. That's what we're called to do. That, that's what the disciples are doing here. And they show us how, right? Like, again, we can all admit, like, this can be difficult for us at times. Waiting can be difficult. Sitting and waiting on God and not controlling and just trusting the Lord with it, it can be difficult. So how do we do it? We do it just like the disciples, with prayerful patience. Prayerful patience. Look, look, at, look at their response to waiting. What did they do? Jesus, again, has ascended, told them to go to Jerusalem and just wait. And what's their response? Verse 14, what are they doing? They gathered together and they devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted to means that they, they continued in. They were persistent and they, they did this regularly. They continued in prayer. And I'll tell you, nothing reminds us of our dependence on God like prayer. So when we have to wait, when we're in this season of waiting, the example that the disciples give us here is instead of, you know, just stepping into action, instead of just hastily going, you know what, I'm not going to wait, I'm just going to go and do this, and then we make a bad decision, there's bad consequences from that. Instead of trying to just gain control, instead of trying to manipulate the situation to get what we want when we want it, instead of just throwing a fit like a one-year-old, what we do is, is we run to God in prayer. We run to God in prayer. One of my favorite psalms is, is Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. I don't know about you, but those are two things I'm not always good at. I'm not always good at being still and being patient. But that's what we're called to do. We're to be still before the Lord and patient. Wait and trust in him. Pray like the disciples said. Pray with devotion. Pray with persistence. Pray with consistency. Pray with request, right? Like we're not, we're not told to just pray and never ask God for things. If we are waiting on something, if we're praying for something, bring those to God. He wants us to do that. We, he wants us to come to him with, with everything that we have. So, so pray with request. Pray with others. Invite other people into your season of waiting so they can pray for you and with you. That's the beauty of the church. We're not, we're not on this island by ourselves just trying to figure life out. No, we, we, we're supposed to have each other. And then we pray and we trust God. And look, the reality is 
God's in control anyways, right? Like, we're, we're, we're not in control ever. We think we are sometimes, but we're not. And it goes much easier for us if we, if we live like God is really in control like he is, right? It's easier on us if we let go of our uh, idea of control and just trust God. I, we don't, I don't see it too, too often now, but there, you know, there's a time where you see those bumper stickers on people's car, God is my co-pilot, right? If you ever had one of those or still do, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but I've always struggled with that. I've never liked the God is my co-pilot thing because that, that leads us to believe like, well, I'm the pilot then. I'm the pilot and God's just here to kind of just help out when I need it or, you know, give, give some suggestions when I get a little, you know, mixed up or confused or, or don't know what I'm doing, then I can reach out to God. No, the reality is, is God's the pilot and we're supposed to be sitting back and coach just enjoying the ride. That's what we're supposed to be doing. God is in control. And he's a good God, and he's powerful. God is, right now, like we read last week, Hebrews chapter 1, God is upholding the entire universe with his word. He's upholding all of it by the power of his word. He's, He's doing a billion and a half things right now in this moment. He can handle that, and he can handle whatever we have going on. Let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's wait patiently on the Lord. And here's what happens. When we do that, we do that and it frees us from that control. Man, that's, that's when we have peace. That's when our fear and our stress and our anxiety starts to dissipate. It's because we, we've trusted in God. That's what Philippians 4, 6, 7 says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So it's a pray. Bring your requests to God. Bring your stuff to God. And here's what it says. Verse 7, and the peace of God the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so if you're in that season of waiting, you don't like it and you just want to do, let's bring those requests to God. Let's bring all of our stuff to God and rest in him and rely on his power, his sovereignty, and rely on his timing. That's when we'll have peace. So relying on God's timing, it frees us from control. The, the second area that we are to rely on God for is rely on God's word. So we rely on God's timing. We are to rely on God's word. And reliance on God's word frees us from searching. Well, we're all searching at various points in our lives. We're searching for things, right? We're searching for uh, some of life's biggest questions, whether that, that, that's meaning or, or purpose or value and worth, acceptance, truth, hope, joy, fulfillment. Like we, we so chase after these things. We so long for them. We can say, oh, yeah, I know that that's found in Jesus. But, man, our, our lives show differently. Our lives show we're actually trusting in our job for that or our spouse for that or our kids for that or any other numerous things that we chase after and live for. But instead of that, we're to rely on God's word. We're to rely on and trust in God's word. And what God's word tells us is all those things that we're looking for, all these things that we chase after, that we devote our hearts to, it's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus, and that's who we're to run to. And disciples give us a, a picture of this in Acts chapter 1 here. What, how, how did the, re, the disciples respond to their uncertainty? They, they, they prayed, and then what did they do? They went to Scripture. They went to Scripture. You know, what, what were they supposed to do next? What was their response to be to this big issue that they had with Judas betraying Jesus and now being out of the disciples? Like, What were they supposed to do? They went to Scripture to find that out. They didn't come up with their own plan. They didn't come up with their own answers. It wasn't, all right, well, Jesus left us. Holy Spirit's not here yet, so I guess we'll just do whatever we want to do. I guess it's just, yeah, it's just up to us. All right, Jesus, you, you, you left. 
you left. I haven't sent the Holy Spirit yet, so I guess I'll just figure this out. No, that, that's not what they did. No, they, they ran to Scripture. They went to Scripture. And they, they saw in Scripture that Judas's betrayal and his fall was prophesied hundreds of years beforehand. God's already prepared for this moment. He's already told them what to do. And the response to that is find a replacement. They, they prophesied what would happen to Judas, and they told him what to do next. Find a replacement. What this reminds us of is we can trust God's word. We can go to God's word, and we can trust and depend on God's word. We don't have to come up with all of the answers, right? We don't have to figure this thing out on our own. We, we, we can go to God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. These are the very words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, coming straight from God. I've heard sometimes over the years of pastoring, you know, man, wouldn't it be cool, like, you know, just in the days of Abraham or, or Noah or Jacob, and when God was, like, spoke audibly, like, how cool was that for Moses when he came to the burning bush and heard God speaking audibly? Man, if, if, I could just, if I could just hear from God in this moment, if I could just hear from him, if he could just speak audibly to me, man, I, that, I'd know what to do, and I, I, I would totally do that. I would totally trust that. It'd be no questions asked. And if God, God would, you just, would you just speak audibly to me? And what I always want to say to that is, open up your Bible and read it out loud. You want to hear God speak audibly? Read your Bible. This is God's words. These are his words given to us. As it says here, they're, they're, they're profitable. That means it's beneficial. It's good for me. It's good for me. Let's go to God's word. Read it. Dig into it. And let's not just, you know, a verse a day keeps the devil away. No, we need more than that, y'all. We need more than that. Let's dig deep into God's word. There's so much beauty and power and goodness found in these pages. We're called to dig deep into God's word and trust it and follow it, rely on it. So we're to rely on God's word. Third thing, third area, we are to have reliance on God's mercy. Reliance on God's mercy. And we rely on God's mercy, it frees us from guilt. Frees us from guilt, frees us from, from shame. See, when we, when we rely on ourselves, there's, there's nothing to absolve me from my sin and my failures. Right? There's nobody that can forgive me for my mistakes. If it's just up to me, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't save myself. I can't uh, atone for all that I've done. I can't do that on my own. So what I typically do in response if I'm relying on myself, well, then I'll put up some barriers to protect myself, and I'll, I'll blame shift. I'll, I'll point, well, it wasn't me. It was, it was that person. It was their fault. You know, they did that, not me. I didn't do that. Or, you know, I'm, I, I, yeah, sure, I messed up, but I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as them. I didn't mess up as much as they did, right? Like we, we, we blame shift, we point fingers, and we try to make it not about us. I'm not the one that messed up, or if I did, I, it wasn't that bad. I certainly didn't mean to, right? Like, that's what we do. We, we have to rely on ourselves, and that just doesn't work out. And in this passage here, what we see a glimpse of is, is two different stories. We see one person who failed and messed up and repented and was restored by God and trusted in his mercy, and then we see somebody who messed up, who trusted in themselves. And we see what happened to them. And those two stories are Peter and Judas. Peter and Judas. 
You know, we see Peter here stepping up, right? Like he steps into this leadership vacuum and he's the guy taking charge and telling everybody what to do. And what we're going to see in the book of Acts, man, Peter does some incredible stuff, amazing stuff. We're going to see this in chapter two where Peter boldly preaching the gospel. is just awesome, amazing. I mean, you, you flip a few pages to the left, you go back into the gospels and, and you see, man, Peter really messed up at times. Like Peter really messed up. So we, we see these two guys, both of them messed up really bad. Judas betraying Jesus. But then we have Peter, who on the night of Jesus' arrest and trial, we see him denying Jesus three times and then cussing out a little girl about it. Like, what? Peter, what are you doing? Like totally messing up. We see him over and over again, not trusting Jesus, not following Jesus, trying to take matters into his own hand, do it his own way. Like Peter messed up all the time. But what's the difference between these two guys? What's the difference? One of them ran back to Jesus, trusted in him, and the other one trusted in himself. So Jesus went back to Jesus. He, he repented and was restored. And you see this at the end of the gospel of John. You flip to John chapter 21, you see Jesus restoring Peter. And that same repentance was open to Judas. But he went his own way. As it says here, he went his own way. He trusted in himself, and he was overcome with his guilt and his shame. And I'm not going to read it again because it's pretty gruesome, but, but you see what happened to him. You see what happened to Judas. That's what happens when we try to save ourselves, when we try to rely on ourselves. We have nobody to free us. We have nobody to give us forgiveness, and we're going to be overcome by our shame and our guilt. But Jesus has another way. That's not the way we have to go. We don't have to go the way of Judas. Look, if you're looking for, for grace and mercy and forgiveness in this world, you're not going to find it, right? This culture that we live in, especially right now, completely unforgiving. Man, you don't get any second chances. If anybody finds out that you messed up decades ago, man, you're getting called out, canceled, your life is over, right? There's no grace, there's no second chances. You are not going to find that anywhere but Jesus. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? He offers that to us all. He offers that to us all. All, all we got to do is come to Jesus, and he offers us complete forgiveness. He offers us grace upon grace upon grace. He, he offers us new mercies every single day. How about y'all, but I need that. I need those new mercies every single morning. And Jesus just gives it to us. He's the only one who can say that when you put your faith in him, when you trust him, when you live for him, that there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. It says, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus, completely perfect, takes on our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, what good news is that? Nowhere, you're never gonna find that offer anywhere else, right? Like Jesus offers to take on all of our sin, all of our failures, all of our mistakes, all of our, all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our regret, all of our guilt, all of our shame. He takes on all of that and then gives us his perfection, gives us his righteousness, gives us his love and acceptance and approval. We didn't do any of that. We didn't do anything to earn those things. No, he just gives it to us. How awesome is that, church? How beautiful is the gospel? This is what Jesus offers us. Stop, let's stop trying to earn God's approval, right? Let's stop trying to earn his grace. We can't. 
Stop trying to earn that. Stop trying to rely on ourselves. Stop living in our guilt and our shame and trust and rely on God's mercy. Rely on his grace. Rely on his forgiveness. So we are to rely on God's timing. We're to rely on God's word. We're to rely on God's mercy. And in our fourth and final area, we are to rely on God's work. We're to have reliance on God's work. And when we, when we rely on God's work, it, it frees us from performing. When we rely on God's work, it frees us from performing, from trying to have to prove ourselves. So we, we live in a world and in a culture where we're constantly performing, right? Like we're constantly having to prove our worth and our value. We're constantly feeling this pressure to measure up. A jokey way of looking at this, the, just the other day, um, my, my wife and I were, were, you know, getting the kids lunch or whatever, and, and they got some Valentine's Day candy. They have Valentine's Day at their school and all their friends, you know, they pass around candy, whatever. They came home with a bunch of candy, and uh, they, they've been, you know, asking to, to eat on it. And so Livy, my, my middle daughter, uh, she asked, hey, mom, can we, can we have some chocolate after lunch? And, and she goes, sure, absolutely, of course. Yeah, eat your lunch and you can have some chocolate. And she goes, oh, mom, that's so great. You've earned a hug. We're like, I didn't know, didn't know we were at the point where we were having to earn your love. I thought that was, I thought that was later in those teenage years where we had to do that. But, but no, it's right now as a five-year-old, we're having to earn your love and affection. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's the culture that we live in, right? Like, again, that's a jokey way to put it. And uh, I hope you get the point. But like, we're constantly living in an area where we, we, are, we are having to perform. We're, we're being, uh, our efforts are constantly being judged and compared to, right? And sometimes we're doing that. Like sometimes we bring that on ourselves. We're looking around and we're trying to judge where we rank, where we fit in. How am I compared to that person? Do I have my life more together than they do? Is my social media life better than, than what they're portraying? Like we, we do this all the time, right? We bring this on ourselves, yeah, even in, you know, in our jobs, right? Like we have performance reviews and we're constantly compared. Well, am I, am I doing better than this person? Am I, am I performing better than this person over here? As long as I'm doing better than somebody, I'm not at the bottom, right? Like I don't want to be at the bottom. Like we're, we're constantly asking ourselves, am I better at my job than that person? Am I, am I a better spouse than that person is? Am I more successful than that person? Oh, my neighbor just rolled up with a brand new car and I'm still driving my beater, man. Well, I gotta, I gotta get something else. I gotta show them that I am just as successful, if not more, than they are. Am I, you know, am I, am I, do I have better and smarter kids than, than other people, right? Like none of us parents enjoy hearing that our kid is not at the top of, of their grade level, right? Like none of us enjoy hearing that. It, sometimes it's true, okay? Sometimes speaking from somebody who was that way, it's okay. Your kid will be fine. They'll get their lives together, I promise. Uh, actually, I don't know that, but hopefully we'll pray for them. I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, we, do, I have, do I have better and smarter kids than everybody? Am I, am I a better Christian than some of those other people? I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in church, and sometimes the underlying message that I was taught growing up was if, if you want to be in God's good graces, if you, wanna, if you want God to love you, well, then you better be at church every single time the doors are open. You better read your Bible X amount of time every day. You better pray X amount of time every day. You better have this many Bible verses memorized. And look, I, wanna, I want you just just hear, those things are good, all right? Please, come to church. I, I want you to be here. That's awesome. It's a good thing. Read your Bible. Yes, pray. Absolutely. Memorize scripture. Yes. But when we turn that around to where we're being judged by our performance in those areas, it no longer becomes growing in holiness. It becomes growing in pride. 
It's legalism. It's not righteousness. See, we're constantly faced with the pressure of not measuring up, of trying to prove ourselves, prove our worth. And look, the message at times from the culture, especially from the culture, and sometimes, unfortunately, from the church, sometimes the message when I fail, when I struggle at that, when I'm not doing as good as I think I should do, what's the message? Well, just be better. Be better. Be more successful. Be more talented. Be a better person. Be a better father. Be a better Christian. Be, be better. Do more. Be better. But I, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this today. The message of Jesus is not try harder. The message of Jesus is rest in his finished work. That's the message of of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. Like we see a little bit of this in in the selection of Matthias. I want to go back to this section in Acts chapter 1. Let me read for us again verses 21 through 26. It says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, so let me point out one thing real quick before we moved on, the casting of lots. I know that's a weird thing. What's going on there? We see this throughout the Old Testament. It was kind of a you know, modern-day version of drawing straws or like putting your names in a hat and drawing out a name. So when, uh, you know, during this time, they didn't have the completed word of God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They knew that God was in charge of everything, trusting in God's sovereignty, all that good stuff. But this was their way of trying to like, okay, Lord, what's the answer? What do we do? So in terms of, of selecting somebody, what they might have done, and we don't know for sure, but the best guess is they might have, you know, written uh, their names on sticks or some kind of like stones or something like that or a symbol to mark who it was. You put it in a jar, you shake it up, and you you tilt it out, and, and whoever's name comes out first, okay, that, that's the guy. So, you know, they, they put uh, Joseph or Barsabbas or Justice, whatever name he wanted to go by at that moment. I don't know why he has three, but okay. Uh, so they put one of his names in, and then they take Matthias, they put one of his names on a stone, they shake it up and dump it out, and Matthias comes out, and they're like, okay, Lord, this is who you want. So I just want to be clear, because Luke's a historian, right? Like, Luke is just telling you what happened. And like I mentioned at the beginning of our, of our time here in Acts, There are things that Luke does that are just descriptive, just telling you what's going on, and there's things that are prescriptive, which means, hey, you guys do this too. You know, Christians living in 2022, you're supposed to do this too. Casting lots, I don't want you guys to be clear on this, you're not supposed to cast lots anymore, all right? So don't don't try to discern God's will by casting lots. This was pre-Holy Spirit. This was pre-completed God's word like we have today, okay? We can go to the revealed word of God and we can trust the Holy Spirit who says he has given to us to lead us into all truth. Okay, so just keep that in mind. What's going on here is descriptive, not prescriptive. We're not gonna start making decisions as a church by casting lots, okay? Just, just rest assured in that. Well, let's go on. What I want you to focus on with Matthias here, I want you to focus on his qualifications. What are Matthias's qualifications to replace Judas? Was it that he was the most talented guy available? Was it that he was the best speaker? Was it he was the smartest person, had the most gifts, was the most popular, most well-liked? Was that what the qualifications were? No, no. 
That's not what was going on. Now, look, I, I want us to get this because what we're going to see as we continue on in the book of Acts is the apostles here, the disciples, do some crazy, amazing, wild things. But what I want us to get and what I want us to always remember is these were just ordinary guys. These were regular guys. All right, and, and the qualifications for Judas or for Matthias, qualifications were two things. Two things. God's heart or his heart and his presence. His heart and his presence. What does Peter say? He said, we got to pick two that were with Jesus from his baptism until he just ascended. we got to pick somebody, and there's two people available that, that could say that. That was his qualifications. What was Matthias' qualifications? He was with Jesus. He had been with Jesus. That's his qualification. And look, I want us to hear this today. Just like with Matthias, God doesn't care about our gifts, our talents. He doesn't care about what we bring to the table. He cares about our heart, and he cares about our presence about our heart and our presence. I had a pastor growing up that used to say this. I don't know who he stole it from. Maybe he came up with it. I don't know. Probably not because I've heard it from other people. But he always used to say, God doesn't care about our ability. He cares about our availability, right? He doesn't care about our ability. He doesn't care about what, what we bring to the table. He cares about, are you with me? Are you with me? Do you have a heart that's devoted to me? That's what Jesus cares about. That's what Jesus wants in his followers. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be with Jesus. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to to measure up with Jesus. No, we don't have to do that. Remember, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that it's not do better, it's it's finished. It's not try harder. It is finished. It's finished. We're not defined by our effort or our performance or our failures when it comes to Jesus. No, we are defined by Jesus' finished work on the cross, and we're to rest in that. We're to rest and rely on his work. So if you're worn down, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're you're feeling the pressure to perform, if you're feeling the weight of not measuring up, of trying to prove yourself, Jesus offers another way. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. Come and find rest. Rely on Jesus' work. So to those who are weary, or feeling worn down and need rest, to those who have failed and need strength. To those who, who are mourning or in a difficult season and need comfort. To those who have sinned and need a savior. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Stop trying to earn. Stop trying to perform. Stop searching. Stop trying to control. Stop, stop living for yourself. Stop living in that guilt and that shame and, and come to Jesus. Bring, bring all your burdens. Bring all your failures. Bring all your mistakes and, and lay them at the feet of Jesus. 
because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Let's rest in and rely on him, church. I'm going to pray for us, and, and we're going to step into a time as we do every Sunday. This is a time of communion. This, this is a time for believers in the room. If you've put your faith in Jesus, as you do every single Sunday, I want you to take time, as much time as you need, to prepare your hearts. Like I said, this, this is a time for believers only. This is a time for us as followers of Jesus to reflect on, to remember, and to celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the salvation that he alone can provide. So as I pray, the band's going to come back up and lead us in a couple more songs. And for believers in the room, I want you to take a moment. Again, take as much time as you need. Prepare your hearts. And as you're ready, as you're led, you can go to the tables on either side of the room where we have the elements. You take the bread and you take the cup. You remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins. We celebrate that, and, and then we come, we continue in our worship, and we sing, and we praise our good God and Savior. For those that are here that might not know Jesus, I want to echo what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to him. Come to him. Put your faith in him. Stop being weighed down by the world. Stop being weighed down by your sin, by your failures, by your guilt, by your shame, whatever it is that you're chasing after, that you're trying to run away from, whatever it may be. And find that in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, for, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's, what such good news is that? Call on the name of the Lord. That's what it means. To be saved just means to say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know I can't save myself. And I'm asking you to save me. That's all we gotta do. That's all you gotta do to tell Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I wanna trust in you. I wanna trust in your work. If that's you here today, I would love for you to come. Come tell me. Come let somebody know so we can celebrate with you. So we can uh, worship alongside you as a brother or sister in Christ now. Welcome you into the family of God. I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come and lead us in this time of worship and communion. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord, and the salvation that you alone can provide. Jesus, I pray that we would be people that rely fully and totally on you, that we would stop living for ourselves, that we would stop chasing after the many things in this world that so lead us astray, Jesus. But that we would rest and rely on you. That we would trust you for all things, Jesus, because you are good and you are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. You are worthy of all the glory and honor. So Lord, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done, Jesus. We pray all this in your mighty and powerful name.